again everyone and welcome to Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo and this is a podcast about communication skills. So on this episode we're going to talk about something called mindless reciprocation and how um, how it can really ruin or negatively affect conflict um, and difficult conversations. And reciprocation is is shouldn't be new um, so I've talked about reciprocation before on the podcast. It's one of Robert Cialdini's five main um, compliance triggers. And maybe we should start there because it helps explain how reciprocation can screw up or can make a conflict worse. But for Cialdini, the reciprocation refers to this kind of like automatic re- response we have to something. So if someone gives us a present we automatically feel this kind of physiological need to reciprocate the gift. Uh, His famous example are the Hare Krishnas who handed out flowers at airports in order to get donations to their cause. So they, you know, they were soliciting money for their cause and and things weren't going well. So they decided they would give out these flowers. People didn't want the flowers at the airport, but once they started giving up, giving out flowers, there was this kind of reciprocal urge to um, to donate to the cause, even though the person didn't want the flower, didn't care about the cause. Uh, and in fact, most people just threw the flower out. So you go to the trash if you wait like a few yards away from where the person was given the flower and the Hare Krishnas would just pick the flowers back out of the trash and give it to the next person. Anyway, this cycle of reciprocation was really influential. Um, and for Cialdini, it kind of shows this kind of deep psychological need to return you know, what someone has given us. Um, so like, let's fast forward a little bit further from Cialdini to some other research. There was a team of psychologists at the University College London who invited their subjects into a lab in pairs. And the first person was hooked up to a little squeezing machine, which applied a very small force on her finger. Uh, and then she was the, the one person was instructed to press down on the other person's finger using the exact same amount of force as the machine was. Now, this is important, but the other person had no idea about that part of the instruction. So the second person was instructed to push back on the first person's finger, using exactly the same amount of force as they felt being pushed on theirs. So you have this gentle little force being pushed on the first person. The first person is supposed to replicate that force on the second person, and the second person is supposed to push push back on the first person. So the two people there are trading finger pushes and the scientists are measuring the precise amount of force that they use. In every pair of pushers that they tested, the use of force escalated quickly until the two people were pushing down at each other's finger with about 20 times the original force as the machine. And to me, that experiment offers a kind of ominous glimpse into the dynamics of human communication as they relate to escalation. So each participant thought they were behaving proportionately to the other person. And nobody in the experiment was deliberately raising the stakes. But somehow, some way, the pressure being exerted on one another's fingers rose anyway. So that to me brings up a question. Why don't all of our conflicts 
escalate in the same way. What's going on? Um, so if you think about the pushing on the finger as a metaphor for difficult conversations or difficult forms of communication or communication that's characterized by conflict, uh, why, well, some of our, our conflicts actually do escalate in that way. Some don't. So, you know, why do some escalate and why do others not escalate? One answer is that some people react slowly to the emotional signals they receive from someone else. So there's some researchers who study marital communication find that couples who reciprocate each other's negativity are more likely to be unhappy. Um, so that's obviously a bad thing. Like uh, it can't. It's it's like some negativity can be helpful to a relationship. Some conflict is helpful, but too much bad feeling is obviously kind of unhealthy. What matters actually is, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, the ratio of positive to negative feelings over time. There's like a magic ratio for interpersonal communication. But perhaps more surprisingly, it's also true of couples who reciprocate each other's positivity. So unhappy marriages and families are just more febrile. And that means that feelings fly around at a faster rate than in happier ones. So we reciprocate positive or negative feelings faster in unhappy relationships. Uh, so John Gottman, who I've also talked about before in his lab, uh, he's measured the effect of argument on the psychology of married partners. And so what he's measuring is heart rate and sweat glands, etc. And he correlates it with the longevity of the marriage. And if one partner's behavior affects the other's physical function this way, the marriage is likely to end in divorce. So the, the question becomes whether you know, that kind of escalating reciprocation kicks in um, for Gottman. And when it does, you surely you have a surefire sign of an eventual divorce. So people who have emotional inertia, who tend to stay close to the same emotional state, regardless of what's going on around them, can act as stabilizing influences on people. So if you're frustrated by the way that your partner or somebody you work with doesn't seem to respond immediately to your mood, you know, whether they respond good or bad, there may be reasons to be grateful for that. You know, a measure of emotional inertia is actually healthy in an interpersonal relationship and in a team setting. Um, so when you're putting together a team or choosing a partner, it might be wise to start thinking about the mix of personalities through that kind of lens. Do, do people um, engage in mindless reciprocation or are they quick to catch one another's feelings or do they have a kind of uh, emotional inertia. A good team, you know, so just like a good team needs a passionate, creative people in it, but it also needs skeptical or unexcitable or people with emotional kind of inertia. And if a good team has that, disagreements are liable to be constructive. Now, disagreements are liable to race out of hand or get out of control or, or be unpredictable when everyone is sort of emotionally reactive to everyone else. So getting the right mix of personalities is kind of one thing to look out for when you're when you're building a team. Uh, it's important because what you want to do is prevent what we're talking about here today, which is this kind of escalation. <clears throat> so you want to prevent this sort of cycle of mindless reciprocation that escalates the physiological effect someone is having on someone else. So that problem with people pushing on one another's thumb, 
like that's a huge problem when you move past just pushing on thumbs and start thinking about actual communication because the, the participants in the finger pushing experiment were acting in a manner that relationship scientists might call um, or uh, sort of marriage counselors might call mindless reciprocation where we're instinctively responding to the another person's last move and we're not asking ourselves how to respond to it we're just responding in kind of like a gut sort of click whirr response. So Cialdini calls these click whirr responses. That's why I started talking about him also. So there's no goal. There's no self-conscious strategy involved. You know, there's no self-control whatsoever. It's just this mindless get back at them um, sort of response. Uh, there's a UK, a British company that provides training and sales and negotiation skills, and they've been collecting data on behavior of negotiators for like 50 years and they've carried out a series of long-term studies using a method that's based on kind of direct observation of real negotiations and what what they're trying to do is establish differences in the behaviors between like really good negotiators and just average ones and one of the biggest differences um, that they found was of course obviously how negotiators handle conflict and negotiators sometimes they get mad at the other people that they're talking with and they get get into a disagreement with them. Um, and this British company uses the term defending and attacking for a kind of emotionally heated behavior. And so in that kind of situation, the negotiator displays aggression toward the other party or, or defends themselves instead. Um, and of course, what the company found was that that kind of behavior had a tendency to spiral out of control. You know, you see the sp same spiral of increasing intensity that the researchers with the thumb pushing found. One person attacks, the other person defends, and in a way that the other person perceives as an attack. And the strength of your defense is has a greater intensity than the strength of the attack. And then the original attacker has to up their the strength of their attack. And then the original defender has to up the strength of their defense, and on and on the cycle goes. Um, and then the defensive and, and offensive moves, sort of, they become almost impossible to tell apart anyway. Um, average, like really average B minus C plus negotiators are more likely to react defensively to disagreement or criticism. They're going to say things like, you can't blame us for that, or it's not our fault, or, but all this doesn't, you know, it doesn't work for me. Um, all that defensiveness does is provoke a sharp, stronger reaction from the other side, setting off that mindless reciprocation spiral. Um, in fact, kind of average negotiators engage in this defense attack spiral three times as often as really excellent negotiators. Um, so it's the same pattern of escalation that the relationship scientists have identified as a common kind of part of uh, marital problems. So their attacking behavior starts slowly with some sort of low level sniping or griping, and then it increases intensity over time. And then the other side increases its intensity until you get a full on confrontation ensuing. And this is a kind of elaboration. There's an episode of the podcast called the primal communication circuit, where there's like a stimulus response. So here I'm, I'm, advancing that idea one step further and telling you, okay, you have a stimulus response primal communication circuit. But when that primal communication circuit has to do with force or pressure or attack, 
the stimulus reads to a stronger response and then the original act has to be amplified itself so it's that attack defense stimulus response circuit that gets amplified quickly and that escalates really really quickly um so skillful communication okay okay what's good communication um, I guess this podcast is entirely about that question because it, it, and the reason I started the podcast was it used to drive me insane when, uh, it still drives me insane when, when people who are trying to hire for jobs or human resource managers, they want someone with good communication, but they can't tell you what that actually is. So skillful communicators, guess what? They refuse to submit to the logic of reciprocity. They don't engage in mindless reciprocation especially around the attack defense sort of circuit because that is the circuit that gets amplified and escalates quickly. Instead, they slow the conversation down and consider options. They remain emotionally neutral. They don't defend when attacked because they know if they defend when they attack, they'll elicit a further, sharper, um, more intense attack from the other person. They're not just thinking about what they want to do they're also thinking about how they, how what they do affects others and about the best way to reach their goal for the conversation. And again, this relates to an earlier episode on what I called strategic communication or strategic thinking. So strategic thinking is about um, contemplating the effect that you have on others and your best and your best path for reaching a specific goal in a conversation and uh, recalibrating or changing your communication practices so that you could get that's that goal. Um, of course, strategic thinking is not easy. It's, it's like really, really, really hard when you're feeling a surge of rage or fear and or when you're feeling something that rages your heart rate or when you're primed to kind of take a quick impulsive decision. That's when bad outcomes happen and that's when you kind of fall into this cycle of mindless reciprocation that can be escalated quickly. Um, so you need to do two things. Number one, you need to be able to identify when the cycle of mindless reciprocation is in play. And so this isn't just about conflict, right? Mindless reciprocation is everywhere. It's just in conflict is, is the time that it escalates and makes things worse. So, you know, if you run into someone on the street and you're like, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, well, I'm fine. How are you doing? And you say, I'm fine that's a kind of mindless reciprocation also you're talking in the same tone and you're you're like you're mirroring one another so obviously mindless reciprocation is a specific kind of mirroring as well so you know i would encourage you after you listen to this to go out like in your conversations just try and identify when this mindless reciprocation is is happening so you need to be aware of when mindless reciprocation is happening but particularly aware when it's happening in an attack defense force counterforce push counter push communication cycle. So, and then you need to know, okay, when you see mindless reciprocation in an attack defense cycle, it's going to escalate. That's the outcome. Every time, escalation. So if someone attacks us, we defend with more ferocity. The attacker reads that as an attack on them. They attack you then with more ferocity and you get this cycle of endless escalation. So mindless reciprocation can lead to escalation when it's characterized by attack defense communication. Um, so that's the, you need to be aware of when that's happening. Uh, and then second, you need to short circuit 
that you need to get out of that loop. So you need to be skilled enough at communication to get out of the loop. Uh, that requires a couple things. One, it requires emotional neutrality or emotional inertia. So it requires you to not be emotionally reactive um, to an initial attack or defense or push or uh, force or pressure or whatever that is. Um, and in the episode of this podcast where I talked about what's the most important thing to do to get better at communication, it's like to be self-conscious or self-reflective about your communication habits. Here, you're being self-reflective about when your emotions are likely to implicate themselves in this kind of mindless circuit of mindless reciprocation. Um, so when's that happening for you? Um, so you don't do it. So you have to, so you can remain emotionally neutral or remain in a state of emotional inertia. Um, and then also you need to kind of, if, if you've taken a step into that mindless cycle of mindless reciprocation, you need to know how to break it. So, um, this is something, you know, parents get taught when they have young kids, if the toddler is screaming and yelling and gets upset, throwing a temper tantrum, the parent gets frustrated. So that's mindless reciprocation. You get emotionally responsive. Okay, you can't do that. You have to be neutral and then deflect to something else. Like they're really upset that they can't wear a t-shirt that day. Oh, but what's that, what, which shoes do you think you wanna, wanna wear? In a completely neutral uh, way that you have total emotional inertia, you're not reacting or responding to the, you're not in a mindless sort of way to the, the reaction or the, the attack of the toddler. And then you pivot or direct the conversation to some, something else. So the two ways to break the cycle of mindless reciprocation is to kind of maintain a sense of emotional inertia uh, or neutrality, and then to pivot away when the cycle has, has been engaged in to move the conversation in a different direction. If you don't do those two things, you'll avoid the cycle of, of mindless reciprocation. Um, obviously, when you don't avoid the cycle of mindless reciprocation, when you're in, in it, you're almost guaranteed to produce bad outcomes, make bad decisions, uh, hurt feelings, destroy relationships, etc. So sometimes that cycle is enough of a destructive force to end a relationship, or at least to take to put a relationship in this place where it, it takes like years to recover from from the harm or the damage done by that cycle of mindless reciprocation. All right, so lesson for today in episode 102 of, of Now We're Talking know how to identify the cycle of mindless reciprocation know that when that cycle of mindless reciprocation involves attack and defense it's gonna escalate and escalate quickly we know it's gonna escalate uh, try to remain neutral um, or in a state of emotional inertia to avoid getting caught up in that cycle of of mindless reciprocation and then try to to intervene in a way that draws attention elsewhere from the cycle so recognize it's happening remain neutral redirect out of it all right so that's it for for episode 102 thanks everybody for listening i'll be back again shortly with another new episode